You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. It's good to see you today. If you have a Bible, meet me in the book of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is where we will be uh, this morning as we uh, start zeroing in on the end of our time in the Minor Prophets. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, I just want you to know how grateful I am that you're worshiping with us today. My name's Ethan. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'd love to get to shake your hand uh, or meet you before you leave today. Uh, And I'm glad that you're here as we look at the book of Zechariah. You know, I've had several people over the last several weeks ask me, why did you decide to preach through the Minor Prophets? And my answer has been the same to all of them. I have no idea, right? Uh, uh, but, uh, but just like Pastor Reed said just a few minutes ago, uh, that this is God's Word, right? Uh, and God's Word is good, and in His Word, uh, He is speaking to us. Uh, and He tells us that uh, all Scripture is profitable. And all scripture is God-breathed. And so uh, as we look here at the book of Zechariah this morning, as we've looked at the rest of the minor prophets, we can be reminded, right, that God has something to say for us today. Uh, He has something to say to us today. And so uh, I hope that you have come this morning. I hope you come every week uh, anticipating, looking forward to the Lord speaking to you through through his word, because that's why we're here, right? That's uh, That's why we've come together. So Zechariah is where uh, we'll be this morning. I wonder, uh, anybody like to cook? Any, any cooks in the room? Uh, none of you? Okay, great. Uh, then this is going to be a great morning. Uh, some, of you, uh, some of you like to cook. Uh, I like to eat. Uh, I don't always like to cook. Uh, but when I do cook, one of the most frustrating things uh, that I experience, and, and this seems to happen more than I would like to admit, uh, is I'll forget an ingredient. Now, now, it's typically not what I would think is a big ingredient, right? It's not like we're having like steak and potatoes tonight and I forgot the steak or something like that, right? Typically, it's like, oh, I forgot to put the salt in here or I forgot to, to add this in here. I forgot to add that in there. And, and it comes out and it might look right. It might look okay. But then whenever you bite into it, whenever you, you take that bite, all of a sudden you realize I've forgotten something, right? I, I am missing something. It, it might look okay. But something's not right. Something has gone wrong. And so as we look here at the book of Zechariah this morning, from all the outward appearances, things look good. But what Zechariah is going to call his audience to, and what he's going to call us to do, is he's going to call us to see repentance in the right light. And so if you were here last week, we we looked at the book of Haggai. And one of the things that we saw in Haggai is that Haggai was calling us to see that there is beauty and blessing in obedience. But if you remember, one of the things that we also saw was that in Haggai, that Haggai and Zechariah, that they were ministering at basically the same time. And so really their messages, they, they weren't different. They were really two sides of the same coin. And so this morning, as we look here at the book of Zechariah, we're going to see this truth that there is beauty and blessing in repentance. There's beauty and blessing in uh, repentance. And so look with me at Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 6, and then we're going to bounce through the rest of the book. Let me invite you to stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Zechariah chapter 1. The Spirit says to us this morning, beginning in verse 1, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, 
the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for another week, uh, another Sunday that we can come in and we can worship you. That we can sing praises to you, that we can study your word together. And so, Father, we pray that as we study your word, that you would speak to us through it. Father, as we study your word, that we would see and we would know and we would feel that there is beauty and there is blessing in repentance. Father, we are grateful for you today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, as we look at this book, really, the, the first truth we see is this is the blessing of repentance. Uh, the blessing of repentance. Now, Zechariah is a book about repentance. And, and Zechariah isn't necessarily a call to repentance. Instead, it's more of a call uh, or, or a look at the results of repentance. Now, we've already said that Haggai ministered at the same time as Zechariah with a different emphasis. And as we look at the book of Zechariah, it's not always easy to understand. In fact, whenever I read the book this week, I I was scratching my head at several points on my my first pass through. See, Zechariah is divided into three sections. So Zechariah 1 to 6 are these eight visions. There are these eight visions that the Lord gives Zechariah at night, and they're not always easy to understand. They're not always easy to really grasp what the Lord is saying through those visions. And then the second section of Zechariah is chapter 7 and chapter 8. And in those chapters, what Zechariah is doing, really what the Lord is doing, is he's calling his people to not just repent with their mouths, but for their lives to line up with what they have said. For their lives to line up with what they uh, are claiming to believe. And then the last section, chapters 9 to 16, is a look not at the past or at the present, but instead it's a look to the future. It's a look to the future of the kingdom that is to come. See, Zechariah, he's really ministering in kind of the in-between. So Israel is starting to be restored. They've, they've come back from exile. They've started to rebuild the temple. But now Zechariah is calling them not to just stop by looking at the second temple, at the temple they're building, but instead to keep looking forward to what the Lord is going to do in them and through them. And so turn with me to Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 9 down to 15. Zechariah 6 verse 9 says this, And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles Heldai and Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Now, uh, let's stop right there. Two people to remember. Josiah, we saw this last week, was essentially uh, the civic leader of Israel at this point. He, he was kind of like a king, but he, he hadn't quite been crowned king. This isn't King Josiah that we read of earlier in the Old Testament. This is a different Josiah. 
And then we're going to read again here in just a few minutes of Joshua. Joshua was the religious leader. He was a high priest. So you have Josiah leading the civic side. You have Joshua leading the religious side. So verse 11. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and him, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so this is the last vision. Remember I said that from chapters 1 to 6, we have eight visions, eight night visions that Zechariah has given. And so this vision that we've just read, this is really the last vision, and it's a concluding vision, and it really kind of concludes and summarizes what the Lord has been showing Zechariah through these other visions. And so he, he tells him to go, and not just to preach, but to actually act out this vision, to act out this prophecy that the Lord has given him. So this is, and we'll see this in other places in the Old Testament well, it's a sign act. And so what the Lord is doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to just preach it to the people. I want you to act it out to the people. And so if you read Isaiah or Jeremiah, we'll see these same things. And so he, he tells Zechariah to go and to find three Israelites who've returned from exile. They've returned from Babylon. So remember, we, we saw this last week. If you, you weren't here, what's happened here is that Zechariah is ministering in a time when Israel has been in exile. They've been in exile for 200 years, and now uh, Persia has overtaken, and the king of Persia has issued a decree allowing the Israelites in exile, the Israelites that have been removed from their homeland, allowed them to come back and to, to live and to rebuild their city and to rebuild their temple. And so the Lord tells Zechariah to grab three of these men, three of these Israelites who have come back. Now, we can assume that these are probably well-known men because he names them by name. People would have known who they were. And he tells them to take these men and to grab their silver and their gold. See, when the Israelites were in exile, we might assume that as they're in exile, that they lose all of their money and that they suffer but what we know from the book of Ezra is that many returned from exile extremely wealthy. Many returned from exile wealthier than many Israelites had left. And so he says, take that silver and that gold and make a crown and go to Josiah and then grab Josiah, who's this civic leader, and from Josiah go to Joshua, that religious leader, and crown Joshua. Crown Joshua the priest. Now, this would have been unusual because the priest didn't wear a crown. The high priest wore a turban, but the Lord here is saying, take that crown and put it on Joshua. And so the question becomes, okay, well, why are they going to crown the priest as king? Remember, this is a sign act. They're acting out what the Lord has called them to. And so this is a picture of a promise. What's happening here is it's looking forward past the second temple to the new and the final temple that here he says is going to be built by the branch. Now, if you were to go back to Zechariah chapter 3, this branch 
would have been introduced. Now, what's interesting here is if you were to go back to 2 Samuel 7, you would see that same word for branch, but it would be called shoot is the way it would be translated there. We could translate it as shoot here. And in 2 Samuel, the Lord makes a covenant with David and says that the branch of Jesse or the shoot of Jesse will come up. And so we've got that language picked up here. And so what Zechariah is seeing, what the Lord is saying, is that there is coming a day when the king like David, who's been promised throughout the Old Testament, is going to come. And that because of Israel's repentance here in this book, in this season, that they can be guaranteed that this Lord is going to come. That their repentance has secured the Lord's blessing. That because they have repented, they will experience blessing. Now, this is a theme that runs throughout the book of the Twelve, runs throughout these minor prophets, that there is blessing in repentance. And so we've got to understand this, that when God's people repent, God blesses. Now, this blessing is of eternal significance. See, as I was reading this week, I I was thinking about this. I think that many of us need to rethink our theology of blessing. So I think when we we think, Lord, we want you to bless us, or or, Lord, please bless me, oftentimes where our mind goes is to material blessing, right? Lord, I want you to bless me with gold and silver. I want you to bless me with comfort. I want you to bless me with health and flourishing and prosperity and all of that. But what we see, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament as well, is that a right theology of blessing, a right understanding of God's blessing for his people is not ultimately a blessing that is temporary and finite and now, But the best kind of blessing that God gives is an eternal blessing. And so here, the Lord is telling Israel, he's saying, look, because of your repentance, you will experience blessing. And so when Israel's hearing that, they're probably thinking, we're going to experience blessing. And so all of our gold and riches, we're going to grow, we're going to all of that. But that's not what the Lord is saying here. Instead, what the Lord is saying here is he's saying that you are going to be blessed, but your blessing isn't necessarily going to be through gold and silver. Your blessing is going to be through a king who is going to come and he's going to establish his rule and his reign and his kingdom is going to know no end. Ultimately, what the Lord is telling the Israelites here is that the blessing of repentance is going to be realized when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. That Jesus is the king, and we'll see this in just a few chapters, that Jesus is the king that they are looking to. Jesus is the king that has been promised. And so here in the book of Zechariah, we see the blessing of repentance. Next we see this. We see the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. See, repentance is more than a changed attitude. Repentance is a changed life. This is why if we were to flip forward to Matthew We would read where John the Baptist commands the Pharisees. He says, look, you brood of vipers, you claim to have repented. Why don't you bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Let me see your repentance in your life. And it's this fruit of repentance that's called for here in Zechariah 7 and 8. There's a call for the people to live lives that have been changed by the grace of God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is really, it's a heart work where God works in our hearts, in us and through us, to accomplish what he would have. Now, the important truth about repentance is that our repentance is not our work. Our repentance is God's work. 
See, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, tells us that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's not because we've suddenly realized just how spiritual we are. It's not because we've suddenly realized just how smart we are. It's not as if we finally just flip the lights on and suddenly we realize our need to repent. No, the reason that we can repent is because God's kindness is at work in us to lead us to repentance. Without God at work in us, we are not experiencing repentance. We are sorry that we got caught. See, repentance is always a work of God's Spirit at work in the hearts of God's people. It's always God's work before it's anything else. And so look at chapter 7, look at verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and that guy and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord saying to the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Now what's happening is, so Bethel, uh, who, this was a city that was typically in the northern kingdom, not typically it was in the northern kingdom, they've sent a group to Jerusalem. Now remember at this point, the northern kingdom is no more. They've been wiped off the face of the earth. And so this city, Bethel, still has Israelites in it. They come to Jerusalem, and they come to ask a question of Joshua. They come to ask a question of the priest, and they ask, should we continue fasting? See, what we know is that after the destruction of the temple, a fast had been set up by the Israelites, and they were using it supposedly as a time to remember the destruction of the temple, and is a time to call themselves back to repentance, to call themselves back to the Lord. And so they're asking, should we continue doing this? Look at verse 4, the Lord answers. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And so the Lord answers, and he says, look, your fasting that you were doing, that you were claiming that it was because of the destruction of the temple and because you wanted to repent, it was really for selfish reasons. See, God was absent from their fasting. They were fasting just as religious ritual, not because of spiritual desperation. Their fasting, see, fasting is to be a time that we are going to deny other things because we believe that God is better than that, right? So we deny, we deny food for a time, for a day, or for however long because we believe that God is more satisfying than bread, right? That we want the bread of life, not the bread of earth. We want bread from heaven and not the bread of the ground. And so here the Lord says, look, you've been fasting, but your fasting has been for all of the wrong reasons. That even in your fasting, as you're trying to supposedly seek me, you're not doing that. You're not accomplishing that. You are just seeking prosperity for yourself. You're not broken over the fact that you have been separated from God by the destruction of the temple. He's saying, Israel, you're broken over the fact that you're not comfortable anymore. You're broken over the fact that things are, have gotten a little out of hand for your comfort. And so look at verse 8. The Lord starts to summarize the message of the former prophets. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, 
Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. See, what the Lord is doing here is he's calling Israel to practice the fruit of repentance, right? To bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to, to live holy and righteous and just lives. One of the things that, that the Lord has reminded me over and over again as I've read through the minor prophets over these last 12 weeks is that God cares about justice, right? That God cares about right and wrong. And over and over and over again, he's, he's calling his people to live justly, to practice justice. And so here he says, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and don't devise evil against another in your heart. And look at verse 11. But they refused to pay attention. These are the ancestors. They refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Now, verse 12, we need to underline this, highlight it, whatever, it, whatever you want to do. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land that they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. I told you to underline verse 12, because verse 12 might be one of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent. They hardened their hearts. They, they didn't want to hear what the Lord had to say. So instead of listening, they just made their hearts hard and they just decided that their hearts weren't going to change. That nothing was going to affect what they were doing. Now, here's the thing. When conviction doesn't lead to repentance, our hearts are hardened. See, ignoring conviction is dangerous. See, conviction is sweet. The whole, conviction is the Holy Spirit coming to us and in our sin, reminding us of who we've been called to be and also reminding us of the grace that is available to us. But when we ignore conviction, whenever we, we hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our mind, whispering in our ear, don't do it. And then we say things like this, well, I won't do it next time. Just one more time. Just one more time, Lord. That's all, that's all I want. Just give me one more time with this sin. J just one more time, and I won't do it again. What we're doing, as spiritual as we might think we sound, we are hardening our hearts. See here, he says, don't, don't harden your hearts. That they, they, had, they made their hearts diamond hard. See, it's a dangerous place to be when you can sin and not feel conviction. It's a dangerous place to be when you used to feel conviction, but you don't feel it anymore. They made their hearts diamond hard. Now, how hard is a diamond? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, this week, I was reading about diamonds, and diamonds are a 10 out of 10 on the Mohs scale. The Mohs scale is the way uh, that geologists, uh, they rate uh, the hardness of uh, different rocks, different uh, things that they find. And so diamonds are the hardest 
the hardest whatever, the hardest rock, whatever you want to call it, in the world. And it's not that it's a little bit harder than number nine. No, in fact, it's multiple times harder than number nine. The only way to cut a diamond is with a diamond. Now, other places in Scripture will read about calloused hearts. See, calloused hearts, diamond hard hearts happen whenever we feel the the whisper of conviction, when we feel the pain, when we feel the pressure of conviction, and we just ignore it. I I don't know if you've ever uh, felt a callous, right? Some of you, I remember sitting in my dad's lap as a a kid and, and looking at his hand, and his hand just seemed to be one big callous. And here's what I knew about my dad is my dad's hands didn't get calloused on accident. They didn't get calloused after a little bit of work in the yard. No, that was, that was months and weeks and years and decades of hard work with his hands and his hands becoming callous. See, calluses don't happen overnight. And here's what I know. They take time to form and they're painful when they come off. See, our hearts don't become calloused overnight. Our hearts don't become diamond hard overnight. What happens is we, we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. We ignore that conviction. We ignore what we know we shouldn't do. And over time, our heart becomes a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. Or it's not that we ignore knowing what we shouldn't do, but maybe we ignore knowing what we should do. Maybe the reason that we're not more broken for the lost is because we have spent so much time ignoring God's call to take the gospel to our neighbors who need it. And over time, our hearts grow hard, and they grow calloused. And that callous isn't removed without pain. That that callous isn't removed without work. It's a dangerous thing to harden our hearts. See, hard hearts are the fruit of avoiding repentance. Conviction and repentance are gifts to be embraced. Conviction is good news because conviction is a sign of God working in you. Repentance is good news because repentance is a sign of God working in you. See, the the fruit of repentance is a life free from guilt and shame. It's a life that admits sin, but embraces and experiences God's grace. And so the call to repentance that that God issues to his people over and over and over again, the call to repentance that God issues to you and I today is not that we would bring our sin to him and that we would take a slap on the wrist. No, it's that we would bring our sin to him and he would embrace us as sons and daughters. It's that we would bring our sins to him and that he would lean down, he would embrace us, and he wouldn't say, I can't believe you did it. He would say, you are completely loved, accepted, and forgiven because Jesus has taken all of the penalty that you deserve. That that we can bring our sin and we can repent of our sin. We can give our sin to the Lord and we can turn and walk away from it, not because we're spiritual, not because we're powerful, not because we're great, but because Jesus has done everything that we need. That we can repent, not because we bring our own little sacrifice, but because the perfect sacrifice has already been offered. And so now God's heart is not removed from the sinner, it's drawn near to the sinner, right? He doesn't come to us 
We don't bring our sin to him and he doesn't say, no, I don't want any more of this. No, we bring our sin to him and he says, I wish you would have come sooner. I I wish you would have come sooner. I wish you you would have brought this to me before. And, And here's the thing. None of us are free from this. There's not a single person in this room, myself included, that does not have the need to bring my heart before the Lord and to repent of the sins that I know of and the sins that I cannot see. But see, repentance is a gift. Repentance is a blessing. And when we experience true repentance, when we experience real repentance, then we get to taste the sweet fruit that is repentance. And then the, the, final, the final truth about repentance we see here in the book of Zechariah, is the hope of repentance. Turn with me to chapter 9. See, a life marked by repentance is really a taste of the world to come. It's a glimpse of heaven. Because when we, when we repent, we get a little taste of what it's like to be fully known by God and in that moment to know that we are forgiven. And so there's hope that comes with this repentance, a glimpse, a glimpse of the kingdom to come. And in this final section of Zechariah, the, the prophet moves from past and current events to future events. So look at verse 9 of chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And now here in verse 9, he's going to restate the promise of the king like David who will defeat Israel's enemies and whose rule will be eternal. But now there's some new details that are emerging. This king, that he's going to come on a young donkey and, and he's going to, to come and he's going to rule with righteousness and he's going to have salvation. Now this verse is a key text to understand who Jesus is. See, it's not a coincidence that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all include the note about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And how does Jesus come into Jerusalem? On a donkey. Right? He comes in on a colt. He doesn't come in on a war horse. He doesn't ride in on a chariot. No, he rides in the way that Solomon rode in whenever he was crowned as king all the way back in 1 Kings. He comes in on a donkey. See, what we know from the New Testament is we read back to the Old Testament. We know that the hope of our repentance is secured by Jesus because Jesus is the king who comes. Jesus is the king who brings righteousness and salvation. Now, in verses 10 down to 13, we see what this hope looks like. Look at verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Now, it's not a coincidence that he talks about Ephraim and Jerusalem because Ephraim was in the northern kingdom, Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom, and so what the Lord is promising is that there's coming a day when Israel is going to be reunited. When the kingdom is no longer going to be divided, but it's going to be united, it's going to be as one. And when this happens, peace will come. Look at what he says. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Every time I've read that this week, all I can think is from sea to shining sea, right? That that, that is how the Lord's peace and blessing goes. It goes from sea to shining sea, uh, from all of the dry land to all of the dry land. That's where the Lord's peace will be seen. 
Verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. So there he's talking about his people who are in exile, that they are going to be freed and they're going to turn from prisoners in a pit to prisoners of hope. I don't know about you, that's the kind of prisoner I want to be, right? I want to be chained to hope. I want to constantly be known for hope. Verse 13, for I've bent Judah as my bow, I've made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. So the Lord is saying that he's going to use his people to accomplish, to play out his rule on the world, his rule on the nations. See, this hope that repentance brings is a hope that God will win for his people. Notice, as you look back from verse 10 all the way down to verse 13, the Lord never says that you're going to do this. And you're going to do that. No, what does he say? He says, I will do this. I am going to do that. I will do this. I will cause this to happen. God never calls them to do anything but repent. See, the blessing and hope is not in what they can do, but it's in what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. And that's our hope today, that God is faithful. In their repentance, the Lord is calling Israel to place their hope and their faith in him. And this is where our hope must be found as well. See, our hope can't be found in our power. It can't be found in our strength. It can't be found in our might. But our hope is found in our warrior God who does battle with the last enemy, sin and death, and he wins. He's already won. You see, in repentance, there is beauty and there is blessing. And the good news for us Coming out of Zechariah, the good news for us as we read this book is this is really an invitation to repentance. And so some of us feel like we just can't repent today. Maybe you feel like you, you just, you're not ready to repent because you're not really sure that the Lord can handle what you have. You're not really sure that the Lord can handle what you're going to bring to him. But what we can know based on Zechariah, what we can know based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that there is an invitation to repentance and that in this invitation, God's grace never runs out and God's grace is always available. His grace never runs out. So, so we, we can't bring a sin to him and he say, hey, you know what, I can't handle that. Maybe, maybe this morning you can feel the hardness of your heart. Maybe this morning you can feel the diamond hard heart that you have towards the lost. Or, or maybe you can feel that callousness that you have towards that sin. That you can remember the days of conviction where the Lord would call you to repent, but that you would say, Lord, just let me have it one more time. God, let me do it one more time, and then I'll stop. And then slowly, before you even realize it, you stopped feeling that conviction. And maybe this morning, maybe that terrifies you a little. Maybe that scares you that you aren't feeling the conviction that you once felt. Well, here's the good news for you today, is that God's grace hasn't run out. That invitation to repentance is still open. And so maybe this morning, you need to bring your hard heart to the Lord and you need to ask him to remove it. See, that's the promise of the new covenant, right? The promise of the new covenant is that he's going to change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And the, what the gospel reminds us of, what the Holy Spirit works in us is that we are constantly wanting to turn our hearts back into stone, but God, because of his grace, is constantly keeping them flesh. And so maybe, maybe this morning you, you need to bring that calloused, 
hardened heart to the Lord and ask him to soften it. You need to ask him to do whatever it's going to take to soften your heart and to lead you back to repentance. Because remember what it is that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness. It's his grace. Maybe, maybe this morning you, you need to trust Jesus for the first time. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe this is your first time here. And maybe you're here and if someone would have asked you a week ago or a month ago, you would have said, there's no way I'm stepping into a church. Maybe you grew up in church and you had a terrible experience. And so through that experience, your heart just grew hard to the things of the Lord. Maybe this is your, your first time in church ever. Maybe this is your, your first experience here. And, and maybe you've never really thought much about eternity. Maybe you've never really thought much about your relationship with God. That would be evidence of the, the hard heart. And the truth is, is, is we've all experienced that. that. Prior to me encountering Jesus Christ, prior to me being saved, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, my heart was hard. It wasn't kind of hard. It was hard hard. It was diamond hard. And, and what the Bible says is that for all of us, apart from God's grace, our hearts aren't just dead, aren't just hard, they're dead. Right? That, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but that God, because he's rich in mercy, he offers us grace. And when he offers us grace, he offers us life. And, and so maybe, maybe this morning... You need to stop running after what's going to kill you, and you need to turn to God's grace. You need to stop running after what's going to lead you to hell, and instead turn and run to what's going to satisfy you and what's going to lead you to eternal life with Him. Maybe this morning, just right where you are, you need to say, Lord, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner, and I know I am. And God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you to change my heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God, I want to follow you. Maybe you need to pray a prayer like that, or, or maybe this morning you need to pray, Lord, I, I know your grace is good. God, I know that I've walked with you, but Lord, my heart has just become hard towards this sin. My heart has become hard towards this person or towards this situation. God, I need you to soften my heart, and I need you to give me a heart that looks like yours. You know, Pastor Reed said at the beginning of our service that we believe everyone has a best next step. But what that means is there's not a person in here who doesn't need to lay their heart before the Lord and say, Lord, show me where I'm hard, right? Show me where I am calloused. Show me where I have refused to live and to love the way you would have me to. And the good news is, is that he always answers that prayer. That, that he's delighted to answer that prayer. And so here in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing. And as we stand and as we sing, maybe you need to pray. And maybe you just need to ask the Lord to, to break your heart for the things that break his. Maybe as we stand and as we sing, maybe you need to humble yourself before the Lord. You know, these are just steps. There's nothing special about them. But maybe you just need to come and you need to get on your face before the Lord and you need to ask him to give him a heart, to give you a heart that looks more like him and less like you. Would you pray with me?
Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would change our hearts from diamond hard, from calloused. You would give us hearts of flesh. You would give us hearts that look like your heart. Father, I pray that, that you would change our hearts so that sin is no longer attractive, so that sin is no longer sweet, but that, that we would look and we would see that you are good and you are better than whatever that sin is. That you are good and you are better than whatever that sin has to offer. Father, I, I pray for, for those who are in here this morning, maybe those who are watching online, and, and maybe they're realizing for the first time that, that they do have a, a hard heart and that instead of a hard heart, they, they need a, a heart that has been made alive by you. Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts even now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see where our hearts are calloused. And Father, I pray that we would experience your grace as you soften our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.